Okay. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. I am Anthony. And I'm JP, and today we've got a very special guest called Joe. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. Hello, Anthony. Hello, JB. How is it for you being here with us? It's amazing. I am excited. Actually. How does it, if, really? You're excited. Mm-hmm. Why are you excited about being with us? Well, one, because you are legends in the mm. world of podcasting. Podcasts. Mm. Obviously, you are ex broadcasters. Oh, actually, no, not really ex, are you? you no, are, we're still we're still doing it, really. So, you know, I'm learning from the best. Oh. Learning probably is a strong word mm. to use for the purpose of the next kind of half an hour or so, but there you go. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should set the scene, shouldn't we? So me, Joe and JB are sat in a pub in <laughs> Ramsgate. Mm. Uh, it is scarily 10.15 in the morning on a Friday. And yes, at 10.15 in the morning, there are people in here drinking pints of beer, drinking coffee and hot chocolate like we are. We were going to record a podcast last night, um, but the mood didn't perhaps... Um, choose to yeah so perhaps you could tell the listeners why we're recording it sober rather than getting increasingly lashed last night well so tell my story yeah because I mean the the listeners are in I promise you our listeners love a good story okay well my lovely 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 dad who is 86 lives on his own in the forest of Dean which for those of you that aren't aware is in Gloucestershire Um, And he lives in a little place called Lidbrook, which is quite a small village, I guess you could call it. Um, And he's very self-sufficient, actually, but he's got a really bad cold at the moment. Maybe he's got COVID, I don't know, but he hasn't tested. But anyway, um, I speak to him every day, as does my son, as does my daughter, pretty much. Just to check in, make sure he's okay. And anyone, nobody could get hold of him yesterday, at all. So I was here in Ramsgate thinking, hmm, something's not right because I always speak to him and his phone was either off or something. Anyway, it was a little bit hairy for a while. Everybody was trying to get in touch with everybody and we were all worried and still didn't get hold of him, still didn't get hold of him. So then we phoned the police and we phoned the local shop and we phoned friends who eventually went round, as did the police. And basically he had his phone on flight mode, unbeknown to him. He answered the door thinking what is going on the world he's trying to get hold of me and he had no idea at all so yes we couldn't really do the podcast well we, well, we could have done i would have probably no, kept it all together you would have been a bit anxious I think. and me and joe me and jb were worried that uh, we'd be mid-recording and you didn't get a call saying you need to come quick yeah and that wouldn't have perhaps been the ending would have liked on the podcast and our listeners now could be listening to a very distraught episode whereas instead we spent the rest of the evening in euphoria celebrating the health and well-being of your father. Absolutely. Which was magical for us all. It was. Does your dad ever phone you or your daughter uh, or your brother? Yeah. But How we, often does he do that as a matter of interest? Well, we call him, so he doesn't do it as often as we call him, but I think because he knows we're going to call him if that makes sense but actually yeah. he does if he can't if he hasn't heard from e- any of us for a day which is very rare then he would ring us yeah yeah he's very good at keeping in touch with my children or his grandchildren that's very so good. good and vice versa my children are amazingly good at keeping in touch with him that's a really really lovely thing to hear my mother always used to say johnny i am your mother 
Therefore, you have to call me. And no, I was thought, no, actually, like Mum, I don't think so. I, don't, I you know, I, d- I did. I was a dutiful son. I did call her. Um, but I sort of thought, well, you, know, you should call me. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she was retired um, and had, had more, more time. time. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I had four kids. How old was your how and old a busy, you your busy life? Uh, I was. Where am I now? Um, I was late forties. Okay, so ten, twelve years ago. Yeah, yeah. Why do you ask? I'm, I'm just curious as at what point. Yeah, so the, the the frequency of the calls, I suppose. Oh, I see. Yes. So I, I, as you know, I don't I haven't spoken to my mum for years. So, yes. but my mum probably would also be the sort that would say, "Yeah, you call me." Yeah, I won't then. <laughs> but with my so I've got I've got four four of my own kids, and so I phone them. Uh, and very rarely do they actually phone me and I think <laughs> I don't know why that is but I think it's because uh, I am, I'm always contacting them and it's become the way it is I don't know whether it's they expect me to but in their busy lives I'm thinking well I'll, I'll try and you know fit in I'm really good my, I'm really lucky then because my son who doesn't live very far away from me he phones me every single day but you, have a, you have a perfect every son every day then. Oh, that's lovely. Alex is very good. I don't mind name-checking Alex, if you're listening, Alex. <laughs> I'll make sure he is now, or he does. I'll make sure he does. Yeah, I guess I am quite lucky from that perspective. Everything about Alex is very good. I'm amazed you've been able to drag up a child <laughs> with such good... And Holly's pretty decent, too. <laughs> so, uh, bu- yeah. building some more context of where we are. So, we are actually uh, in Weatherspoons, uh, mm-hmm. which is right by the sea. And, in fact, um, right behind Amp is the sea yep. uh, and, it, and it's a lovely location this building was actually done up uh, I, what was it about five, four, year, four years ago um, and it was derelict it was a derelict building it used to be a casino here in, in Ramsgate and it's a tremendous beautiful building it is, it's pretty huge actually as well I mean, I've um, never been to Weatherspoons this big before I, I've been to many Weatherspoons and I can say there are some bigger but this is certainly up there with the big ones what, what I do find amusing though, as we say, it's, it's not even half past ten in the morning and I'm sure the listeners can hear the background noise to give an idea of how busy it is. And there is 50% coffee drinkers, 50% beer drinkers at 10.20. Oh my word. I mean, okay, it's quite pleasant weather. It's supposed to be 21 in the UK today, so that's quite pleasant temperature. So maybe everyone's coming down to the beach for a, for a jelly Somewhere. deal and a pint. Were you just <laughs> trying to do an East End accent? I was a little bit, yeah. Jelly deal. <laughs> Um, now, before we get into today's episode, I think it would be really handy if we present JB Joe with what he's excited with. Now, I should explain to the listeners that me, JB and Joe rarely come together face to face, as is the post-pandemic world. Um, we can do so much now over the internet that actually it's not often we get together, but it's been lovely coming here yesterday, notwithstanding your dad's situation. Um, and one of the reasons we're coming down to visit JB was to give him some Seedle branded merchandise. Oh, do you know I'm feeling quite emotional already? <clears throat> well, you can be even more emotional because I had to rearrange my bag this morning. Joe will know why, because over dinner last night you revealed how you despise having your washing with anyone else's washing. I am peculiar about that. So I had to therefore put my washing in one part of my small case. Your smalls, in, in your small exactly, case. Exactly, and ensure that your new stuff was kept in a separate compartment. 
I love those compartments. I'm so glad that what you're about to give me is not contaminated by your pants. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was um, and that you went to the trouble of making sure that it wasn't ever yeah. going to happen. So my pants are in that compartment. Poor listener having um, to listen to this, and, yeah, honestly. You, feel free to skip forward another five minutes. We'll start talking yes. sense. Uh, so, first of all, here's uh, oh, no, here we go. Okay, let me describe what Ant has now provided. These are um, small little pink. Um, slim containers, credit card size, uh, full of very small pills, uh, which um, down here in Ramsgate uh, could be confused with something that. Um, in fact, I'll hide those yeah. because on the seafront you'll be doing some yeah. deals later. Uh, people might get quite excited about those. So that's um, one part. And um, the next thing I've got in front of me are a, a little triangular plastic case uh, with some little mini headphones and it's all Seedle branded. I'm really welling up. I sense a lack of... We should talk about authenticity on today's episode, maybe, JB. <laughs> oh, you don't know. I, I, I love it. I, I think it's absolutely... That's, that's, that's only the first part, though. Yeah. I oh, my God. The I thought that was it. The listeners can hear the zipping. No, there's more. Oh, I see. So I was a little bit disappointed. I thought that's all I was getting. <laughs> um, and here we have a t-shirt is it yes um is it long sleeve or short sleeve short sleeve oh i was hoping for a long sleeve sorry about that but no. don't worry yeah no no i'm only joking that's fine so you've chosen xl for me thinking that i'm xl only because of your length and they are quite about, small do they come know, up you, small you, a little yeah. bit and your girth okay. i'm not saying anything um but that do you know i love the color it's a uh, it's a dark blue colour. Are these the ones we've got? Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, I think that will look very very good on me. And then here we go. It's the headliner. Oh, you see, this is when I get a little bit moist um, in the eyes um, because do you know I, I love the the seedle branding on this. It's slightly elevated, slightly lifted off. Uh, in a really, really it's fancy way. It's embroidered. Well, it looks embroidered. It That's is, for yeah. sure. is it really embroidered? It embroidered. Yeah. Did you do that yourself? Yeah. No. Kate, bless her, in the office, sat there with a with a with a needle and some thread. She is a woman of many talents. Do you know? Completely I feel. Embroidered. I want. I've, I've coveted these. At one of these, but I've seen you in it, and I've seen other people in it. Um, they're, and they're my favourite colour. Although the grey ones look quite nice, but the navy blue, we kind of thought, yeah, JB's a navy blue kind of guy. Oh. Yeah. And we have got very bright pink as well, which I like. Oh. They They're good for exhibitions. I'm not sure I'd wear them down the high street. No. So, um, can the listeners get hold of these? Can they buy them uh, over the internet if, if, in the future? If, do you think? If, if people messages through the website and say, "Can we buy one of your hoodies?" And that's funny, actually. We did a social media post about four weeks ago. Every year we get different color hoodies. So you remember, in year one we had beige. Then we had the navy blue, and then this year we got grey and pink. Pink for the exhibitions and grey for our yeah. season, if you will. And um, we did a post on social media saying it's always a good day in the office when the new hoodies arrive. Anyway, long story short, um, uh, we had people messaging saying, where do we get ours from then, please? Um, so, you know, there may well be there demand could, there for could, it. There could, be, there could be a market for that. Who cares um, about training? Whilst we're at it, I think it would be very useful for you to uh, just explain your uh, exhibition strategy. Because, uh, I, you know, you're a new business, Seedle's a new business. <clears throat> and you're trying to get uh, people to uh, understand the, the value of, of Seedle mm -hmm. uh, in all sorts of different ways, like any business. 
and you've gone down the exhibition route yes. and why have you gone down the exhibition route and what benefits are you getting from it? Joe. You go first, I'll go second. I think one of the main reasons that we've started with exhibitions is because our cold calling methods so far haven't really worked. Um, we are, as, as we've said before, we're a market disruptor, that's one thing. We're new, we're different. We are not a brand that everybody knows about because we're a new business. So, you know, cold calling as it, Cold calling out to try and get interest is really difficult. And I'm not saying it's completely unsuccessful, but it's not quick enough. We need to have quicker success and we need to be able to get our brand out there and, and explain what we do in a quicker, easier way. And I think exhibitions has, has really enabled us to do that because we can reach a really wide audience, really diverse wide audience. Um, we can showcase what we do because obviously we've got our uh, learning booth which Ant has cleverly built so we can demo live webinars which people can listen to. You can't do that when you're cold calling and emailing people. Cold calling on the phone and emailing people. Um, so it's just a, it's a more effective way of reaching a bigger audience and demonstrating what we do to those people. We give them an opportunity to um, come on a, uh, an information event because they can sign up for, to a QR code, um, scan a QR code. We give them a brochure so they can see the, the module. So it's just, it's just far more effective, isn't it? Yeah, I think Joe's touched on cold calling in her open line. Mm. I think catching a HR or L&D persona exactly. at the right time is never, it's never possible. I think they're typically an internal facing function, so they're not necessarily easily connected to the switchboard. Um, and from our perspective, users of Seedle don't necessarily go out there one day going, we're gonna look at L&D today. And I think when they go to exhibitions, they're in yeah. that mindset of, I'm looking for opportunities There's to support my business, there. yeah. So I think they're more open to discussions. They've come there and they're expecting to be kind of pounced upon. What has worked for us, and yesterday we were, to, we were I was asked yesterday to go and talk at um, the Business of Learning conference in London and I was um, I was interviewed as part of a fireside chat by one of the, the hosts of the conference which basically is whatever Was there a fireside? No, because I expect there to be kind of a fireplace at least projected onto the wall Something No, but there wasn't there was just a picture of me behind me which is a bit odd um, which obviously the audience adored um, Of but, course But no, there they were asking you know, what what do you think about exhibitions and, and you know, what do you do differently and we have probably frustrated a few competitors at exhibitions because we do things different. In a lot of exhibition stands you walk around, some of them will showcase their products, they'll have, you know, we were at a health and safety exhibition, so there were fire extinguishers and things. And you know, fire extinguishers is a fire extinguisher. Well, they're quite handy if you've got a fireside chat and it goes wrong. That's very true, yeah, if the, if the coal falls out the fire. And then um, we had a com direct competitor, I say direct competitor, they were a health and safety training provider, but it was all on demand videos nothing live um, and they literally had a big plasma screen some plants free coffee and things go and have a chat um, which you know just looks like an estate agent's on the high street unless you've actually got a need you're not going to go onto the stand if that makes sense whereas what we did as Joe says is we had the broadcast studio on, on, on the stand and we were just inundated what, what's going on here 
at one point um, when I think we were recording a podcast actually we were sat pressing some buttons so we were just both sat staring at the screen and the studio's glass fronted or perspex fronted and someone said to one of our team outside the, the studio why have you got mannequins on your stand they thought that we were just two mannequins sat in a box pretending to do webinars or something and we're like, no 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 they're right. and then we started moving and then they're, oh oh they're moving oh okay are they are they animatronic uh, mannequins um, anyway it was very funny um, but I, no the, the exhibitions worked well for us i mean that, that whole thing about um cold calling I, I get contacted all the time by people wanting me to sign up uh, for the magic bullet uh, and they, they they will contact so many people in the industry that i want to talk to um, and offering me uh, this kind of fantastic opportunity because they're going to cold call me into organisations. I have done this in previous w- worlds, incarnations, around learning and development, and the success rate of that, I think it costs about £5,000 UK, uh, zero. What ex- in terms of spend on exhibitions? No, I, this is this is um, oh, cold, cold calling. calling. Uh, we we wasted money on cold it calling. It just didn't. It just didn't work. And I don't know whether it's um, because I mean you're offering live interactive learning, and mm. yeah. I've, got, I've got an opinion. If you won't, wouldn't mind. Yeah. So I contacted some cold calling. Co- so I, as JB and most of the listeners are aware, JB is a is a shareholder in in Seedle, as is Joe. Um, and one of our other shareholders said to me you really should look into outsourcing your cold calling because um, it's no secret that we've had challenges with what our sales strategy and marketing strategy is exhibitions are working anyway um, so they then said no you really should um, look at um, outsourcing your cold calling so contacted a couple of agencies that I was recommended to and they came on the call and, and they then asked what is it you tell us a bit about what you do then and you could tell the interest levels of them dropped as I mentioned mm. learning and yes. development and um, they went on to say I'm not sure we can help you well, that's be- because yeah because we've done a campaign previously for an L&D company and it was 18 months before we started to get closed deals and I think the challenge we have and I mentioned this again yesterday in, in the learning business of learning conference that HR buying cycle is incredibly slow yeah yeah. and you know unless you're going into they've got an immediate need and they need someone to come in and do some consulting work can you come and do four or five days for us which can be relatively transactional and that's sporadic and most of the businesses we were talking to in the room yesterday um, in breaks and things it became apparent that all of them were very much hand to mouth on the immediate need that customers have can you help with this yes I can and they get a task done. A lot of them obviously were quite nervous about the onset of AI replacing some of those needs that they 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 deliver tasks on behalf of their clients. Yeah. Um, such as you know creating content, etc. But going back to the, the previous point, the agency were pretty much yeah. If you if you what you can use us, but you ain't going to see any money back for eighteen months. Yeah. Which the whole point of us outsourcing was to generate more leads to close sooner. Yeah. Um, That's so far too long, isn't it? In, in yeah. the life of a, of a new business like yes. ours, uh, we need we need more. I, it was six, 
for six months, I'd accept. Yeah. You know. I, I think four to six months is probably where we're at at the moment for most. Mm, maybe even seven or eight, actually. So our big, anything bigger than a couple of grand, you're talking six to six to eight months, probably yeah. cold to sold. So yeah. And live. So from an initial call to those employees having access. But as we also know, we've been very happy with our enterprise renewal rate being 100%. We've not lost a single customer. So once we're in with them, we seem to be pretty set. Um, so I guess it's recognising that it's a, it's a long relationship that you'll get off the back of that long pipeline, you'd hope. I think one of the other challenges we have is making our product sticky in other ways, not just the curriculum. And now it's moving into the software and the digital assets and the data that we harvest for our clients. They remove that as, as a supplier, they lose all that legacy data. Yes. Um, so I think that's certainly where we're now pushing the business. Um, when we so clearly people listening to this podcast will listen to the podcast after writing the description so that hopefully if anyone's listening to this podcast if you'd have read the description we'll quantify the fact that the first 20 minutes will be nothing about leadership but instead just a general well do you know but I think it is I, I think because you know everyone in an organisation has the job of, of, of selling uh, you know if it is a commercial entity and you know we're looking at the different ways that you reach you know a, a new fan base uh, you've got a very, very good existing fan base and a very loyal fan base. Uh, and this, this challenge to find uh, new markets. Uh, and, and sometimes, as you've just mentioned, you know, you're developing new products as you're going. Uh, and also finding, finding means to communicate what it is that you actually do to a receptive audience. And I think for some... Live interactive learning uh, is actually quite a challenging thing to actually get your head round, unless there's someone really uh, in the business who can actually explain what the benefit of that is, uh, both in terms of learning, actual learning, and also the the massive savings uh, of making that happen in high volume in an organisation. And I think you know there are I've I've managed quite a lot of sales uh, directors and managers in my time and that that subtlety understanding that doing proper needs analysis uh, that conversation uh, I, I, it's a rare thing to find really really good salespeople who are comfortable actually challenging uh, the awareness and understanding of a, uh, of a, a potential client tailoring something to, to fit uh, and you know not being disrespectful but you know taking control of the situation uh, and making it happen within a timely fashion i.e. within six months I think I think that's a really a really tough thing to make happen so I think that's about a recruitment thing isn't it it's about getting getting the people who can um, sell your products and services really effectively and the ones who do it really well are the most challenging ones that I've ever managed in my life and I don't know what that's about but often they the, the most challenging ones a to manage and are prepared to challenge the customer seem to make more successful sales that sort of links into the challenger sale challenge challenger sale methodology though, what's it? that tell us about that well the challenger sale methodology is when you are confident enough to challenge the almost the thinking of the client and you're challenging their thought process 
you're challenging what they what they believe you're challenging what they know you're you're just challenging their thinking so and also you are you are problem solving for them for the client you're and you're helping them problem solve so I think if you are able and comfortable and confident and experienced enough to be able to do that then you become a really strong almost business partner of that client potential client rather than just somebody trying to sell something yeah that question of how do I make this client or this customer extraordinarily successful how can I make that happen and that should really be in the forefront rather than thinking how can I sell this and how can I make money from this actually if we can try and help clients understand how they can become extraordinarily successful through our product yeah then that's a quite a different thought process it's quite interesting because we're, we're kind of noodling our way through thinking here and all of you say noodling noodling yeah it's kind of in my mind just noodling it all through oh, i like that is that made up mind? let's pretend it, i don't know it came into my head and it, i think it's been used by other people before, i get it though because noodles are really about like spaghetti yeah it's all noodling through my brain anyway look uh, what, what's interesting and this maybe lead, leads the conversation on quite interestingly is that in business is commercial commerciality important for a head of a business and i and i yes. mean that because there if you look at chief executives of put gender aside because i'm very aware that's a challenge but if we look at the disciplines the legacy disciplines of chief executives I was reading a study, it's about three years ago now, to be fair, it was in the early pandemic, or just when we were coming out of pandemic one, or sorry, lockdown one. And it was looking at the most common job titles of the CEO previous. And it's funny that we talk about the importance of people, but that I think 46%, so the number one position was they were previously a chief commercial officer, chief sales officer, chief revenue officer, versus chief HR officer was 6%. Only 6% yeah. of FTSE 100s, or FTSE 250, I think it was, had previously been a head of people. But even then, half of the head of people had at some point been in a commercial role. Yeah. So with all that thinking in mind, we've obviously talked today about sales, marketing, performance, selling to clients. Often a key part of the role as a chief executive or a people leader is selling a vision to your people. Um, you both, you've trained extensively sales leaders at UKRD, which is how I met you. Joe, you've been a sales leader and sales education probably is your is your subject most experienced, I guess, over the years. Commerciality and leadership, for me, seems a really interesting thought on what leaders listening to this podcast might think, actually, maybe I'm not as commercially minded or maybe I need to pick up some skills that salespeople have to make me a better leader. Discuss. Well, I, so I go back to what Joe was saying about the challenge of sale, because, uh, you know, if, if that, uh, and I think we're in agreement here, if that approach, and as I understand it, what that means is that we're helping a potential customer view their business slightly differently and therefore seeing an opportunity with the product or service that we're providing. Um, yeah. that, that's my interpretation of it. You know, we're, we're telling them something that they don't already know. Uh, yeah, and they're going, wow, I'd never thought of it like that before. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And, and are comfortable to challenge the customer. So yeah. the, the challenger sales methodology, which I think 
Brent and Adamson written lots of stuff and books around it. They, they say that there is there is no such thing or it's not just about building a relationship, that it needs to be more than that. Maybe 15, 20 years ago, relationship building from a sales perspective was, you, you could be very successful doing that, but that's not enough anymore because there's so much more competition and you, and you know, how do you differentiate yourself as a, as a business and, and how do you stay ahead of your competition, for example? So when you're, when you're trying to challenge or not trying, but when you are comfortable and confident enough to challenge the, the thought process of a client and and not worry all the time about do they like me? You know, are, are we are we building the right relationship here? But actually, you become a, you help them become problem solvers. You start helping them think about the commerciality aspect of the product that you're offering. Then there's potentially likely to be more success. I think relationship building is still important. I don't think that we can dismiss that. I but think, I think we a, need to be more than that. I think there's something that can be learned uh, from the, that challenger sale approach then in terms of our imaginary CEO uh, and the senior leadership team in terms of their approach to the customer. Now, taking that and thinking about that challenger approach to the people in the business uh, because if the focus is to challenge thinking and the process of thinking and to perhaps lead the way towards a better experience than the experience now that gets into the realms of communicating a vision effectively challenging the status quo getting people yeah. Um, feeling perhaps a little bit uncomfortable perhaps yeah. with the status quo the current experience of uh, them in the business the experience of other stakeholders uh, let's say the customer for now um, uh, it, there's, a, there's a trait there that I think is quite interesting to explore which is the propensity to challenge thinking mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a way of leading and there's, a, there's some work around uh, optimal challenge uh, in organisations when you're dealing with um, people and learning and development and performance and to relentlessly, relentlessly search for the optimal challenge for your people and that's an individual by individual approach. So you set up the structures in order to find the optimal challenge for learning, for performance, for development of, of all individuals inside an organization. So what is, the, what is your optimal challenge today, tomorrow, this month, this quarter, this year? Mm -hmm. um, and what the optimal challenge is really uh, talking about, I think, is this balance between uh, skill and motivation. So the current skill level, people can get quite comfortable with their current skills in an organization and they're okay there. And perhaps they're a little bit too comfortable. So the idea is to motivate them towards a stretch a little bit of discomfort mm -hmm. 
towards a better a better way of doing things, um, increased learning. So that for the CEO senior leadership team to 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 embody the optimal challenge, I think that works internally, and I think based on and this is just thinking out loud really. So if challenger sale is about the client's optimal challenge, and we're thinking about everyone in the organization's optimal challenge, including the CEO and the chairman and everybody else. I think culturally that's quite an interesting area to go to. We started off talking about exhibitions and cold calling and the effectiveness of uh, using challenge in sales. And now we're talking about optimal challenge. the optimal challenge, both in terms of the customer, but also in terms of the people inside an organisation. But what's interesting is all of this kind of comes back down to communication skills of leaders. Because uh, in the olden days, if I look at you know our first managers, it was all about here are the tasks, get on, get on, do it, do it. And we were almost, I think, project managers. Yeah. There wasn't such a thing as a leader. Well, perhaps there was, but it wasn't necessarily seen as the, ro- the role that people needed to have when they were managing people. They were actually a project task manager. Task-oriented. Yeah. task, absolutely. Task. So, you know, these are the company's objectives. Task we divide completion. that into tasks everyone needs to do, and we, and we measure the outcomes, and we, we manage people in and out of the business based on their outcomes being delivered or not. Yeah. And that was it. And I also think that, of course, when unemployment was never like it is these days, where actually there are less people than there are vacancies in many, many industries, we're now in this, this place where, more recently, businesses have had to recognise that they have to be less just project manager. And I think that the skills that are so often missing in leaders is the, is the, the, that, the, the non-project manager. I think there is a whole programme on project management now for a reason, because actually even people that don't have people responsibilities are still project managers. They have tasks, they have objectives they need to achieve, they need to bring people together. But when they are managing these people day to day, these other skills have got to, got to come to the fore. And I'm not entirely sure that, that leaders, many leaders, have the right skills yet to challenge people's thinking, to make them feel the right level of challenge, excited for that opportunity. And also I still think that if we're still managing by projects, people still feel that they're powered over rather than it's a shared responsibility. So um, I, I agree with that, but I think it comes back to um, the the conversation capability. Uh, so you know, if if a sales if a sale is happening, it's a conversation. Uh, if if a CEO uh, is is having an effect, it's because they're having a conversation with their people. So what's happening in the conversation? What's happening in the conversation? If a conversation works well. Uh, trust is being built, uh, number one, um, and number two, someone, somewhere, is learning. Those are the most effective conversations. So for uh, a leader to understand then the value of you know, regular communication and conversation that does those two things, builds trust, and creates an opportunity for learning, then you'd think carefully before you opened your mouth. Because you'd be thinking, here is an opportunity to create 
more trust in my organization. Here's an opportunity to create more learning in my organization. What questions do I need to ask? What things do I need to say that will create an opportunity for someone to learn something in this conversation? And probably equally importantly, is my attitude to, towards that is that I'm going to learn something too. However small, my job is to understand what's being said and to learn something from it. You give that off, uh, I, I think that's pretty interesting in terms of building trust and also building this reputation that you are prepared to challenge and, and, and create discomfort. Because to me, that's what you were saying a little bit, Joe, about you know the, the, the sales process, the challenger sale, that, that presumably involves a little bit of discomfort somewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. Discomfort because maybe the client or the customer doesn't necessarily want to be challenged. Mm. But that's where the trust piece comes in. 100%. So whilst relationship building might not, in, in Brent and Adamson's case, might not be the most important aspect of selling, there still needs to be an element of that, doesn't there? Yeah. And actually, going back to what you said about learning, I don't think you learn by, by talking to somebody. You learn from listening, don't you? Yeah. So... Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think you're you're right. Ninety nine percent of it. The one percent is that you learn from the reactions of the person you're talking to whether what you've said is correct. Yeah. So but often I, I will I get more finessed in what I say because I learn from the audience's understanding of what I've said to then refine what I'm saying better. Yeah. Agree. So that aside, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I, I do agree. But if you're only ever talking and you're not prepared to listen, then that links to, to good communication doesn't it if you if you're a good communicator great but if you're not listening to reactions non-verbal reactions as well as verbal reactions and you're not happy to listen to feedback or take that feedback on board then it doesn't matter how good a communicator you are and communication yeah. isn't just about speaking anyway is it absolutely not um, I, I, I think part of that is what you give off it's the presentation of yourself yeah. in those situations. Do, you know, are you giving people the benefit of a damn good listening to? Are you are you coming across as curious yeah. in the in the questions that you ask? Are you prepared to build trust by challenging the status quo? Yeah. Are you prepared to build trust by being the person who is capable of being incredibly honest yeah. about what you're observing, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, mm -hmm. challenging, I think is inextricably linked, as I'm thinking it through, to, um, to trust building. Yeah. You know, if, if you are prepared to challenge and, and, and you are seen to challenge, where does your trust rating go? Is your trust rating going down or is your trust rating going up? Yeah. I reckon it's probably going up. Um, having got to 150 years old, I have noticed that the, the leaders who are most adept, capable of challenging the status quo, challenging things that are not okay, uh, are the ones that are most successful yeah. and, and most trusted 
they, they become quite sticky actually they become quite um, engaging mm -hmm. you know people people want to go to them uh, because they know that they will be challenged yeah it's a it's a funny thing if you don't challenge enough then you're not as sticky no as a, just as a, a, a thought well as, a, as something I've noticed mm. over time interesting but you don't want to challenge too much no. otherwise you're going to create an awful lot of stress oh god yeah <laughs> who'd have thought what I got here um, we do have a couple of listener questions but oh, we, also have, we also have an article that we've circled several times in the last few weeks and never got round to it so if we would prioritise the article first, I thought that might be quite helpful. All right, okay. Um, now you're now going to go A, but don't worry, I'm now going to refresh you on that. Yeah. Um, now Joe, um, this should hopefully resonate with you relatively quickly, okay. um, but just yesterday a client was asking us about um, the challenges they have um, around recruitment and the cost of bad recruitment. Um, and the point behind this essentially is that lots of organisations now are hiring people um, and they're leaving within 90 days. There was a study done recently which I'm now desperately trying to find. Here it is. Uh, the 90 day employee research is called. So this was done by HR Grapevine um, a few days, few, actually no, a few months ago, back in May. Um, which basically says that employee turnover is costly. We know that. Yeah. 30% um, of new employees, though, would leave their employer, the new job, within 90 days of getting hired. Wow, that's a cost. And if typically, which we know is the case, the cost of hiring is typically six to nine months of the first person's salary, as in you take in the recruitment yeah, hiring costs, yeah. the lost productivity costs, customer satisfaction costs, actually poor recruitment is disastrous yeah. because if 30% of your new hires are leaving within 90 days not only have you wasted money on that person you've got to backfill it again um, and this kind of I guess comes into what do we need to do as leaders to try and reduce that 30% down now Joe I know you um, have a session on Seedal around recruitment training no pressure Joe yeah but obviously I've also got some kind of thoughts and tips that we could consider for discussion around how we reduce that 30% down because if it is costing you six to nine months for every person then you know that's a huge a huge challenge to a business especially if you don't budget for it if we've gone and hired 30 people and 10 of them are going to leave then that's another load of recruitment costs that's another load of lost productivity, customer satisfaction. If this pub had 30% of its staff leave within 90 days, that's less people cooking food, that's less people serving customers, there's less people taking orders at the bar, that's gonna hit our revenues. And yet if businesses aren't taking that statistic seriously, how do they mitigate it? Apart from having Seedle and keeping those people beyond 90 days. Discuss. Well, I think the, inter the interview process, first of all, is important. What does your interview process look like? So, and I'm thinking back to interviews that I've had, which are actually a long time ago. <laughs> but my last interview, which was a very formal, structured interview, was actually quite scary, if I'm honest. Um, that was a real competency-based interview, and 
you had to achieve a certain score to even get considered for that job. But that was it. There was no real understand. There was no conversation around who am I. It was all about what my skills were and were they transferable into this particular role based on my competencies, which I do agree with that type of interview. I think you should have a competency-based interview of some sort. But let you know, get to know the people first of all. Have an informed chat with them. I know we do that here and it actually works really well. Um, so the interview process is important. I think we need to be able to bring out the best in somebody during an interview process and not scare them absolutely senseless. We need to set realistic expectations of the requirements of the role and the culture of the organisation. But we also need to excite people enough that they want to come and work for the business because let's be honest, high performing, high skilled or highly skilled, talented people will be snapped up really quickly because they can... And some, but some can be arseholes. What? People? Yeah. Oh yeah. So they've got all the competencies coming out of their ears. Yeah, yeah. And they come into your team and they disrupt it and then you yeah. want to get rid of them. Exactly. So get to know... The, the, the person is really important. Do they fit the dynamics of the team? I don't think you can do, you know, you'd have to be very careful on that in terms of unconscious bias, DNI, and all of those really important things. But, but then when they are in the business, I mean, let's, we've got to look after these people. Because I'm a real strong believer that our people are our biggest asset. We can have the best product in the world, but actually, if we don't... Have you met our team? you don't look after your people and you don't manage your people well and let's be honest you know we, we all none of us are perfect are we so um why would they not leave Ant and i are very silent at that point because we you know we we, we, <laughs> we are your people joe yeah um so i think you know let, what 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 is the plan for the first 90 days how are we onboarding them what is what does the onboarding process look like? What are we going to do as managers, as leaders, to ensure that they are learning in those first ninety days? What training is happening? Um, how are we making them feel part of a team? How are we making sure that they feel looked after as such? Um, what sort of conversations are we having with them? I think there's so much of that that probably doesn't happen I think people come into the business they they know what they've got to do they're told what they have to do and then that's it they're left to get on with it there's no conversation about career there's no conversation about and I'm being quite sweeping statements here there might be for many businesses but are we having enough of those correct conversations so that people feel part of a team they understand the bigger picture they're not just focused in their own little silo of this is what I have to do but I don't really understand how that fits to the how, what value am I adding to the wider organization there's a whole host of things actually so from the real from the very beginning of interview process to during the interview and then what happens after that if they're taken on into that organization what does that onboarding process look like so that they feel um, part of a team really quickly they know what their their goals are they know what the organizational goals are they understand what the culture is you know all of that the recognition piece all those things that are so important I am um, I, I don't think I've ever been in onboarded in my life um, I think some people have wanted to waterboard me in my life but <laughs> I, I, so I've been thrown with my my job in radio started um, 
sitting at a, a desk which was about I don't know about two foot by two foot with a with a ginormous computer on it um, which I didn't know how to work to be honest I really on I, I was asked I'm going to be here's some honesty I was asked do you know how to use a computer yeah, of course I do. <laughs> um, first day uh, got this bloody great computer there's no room for anything else except this massive great computer nothing like Ant's little laptop and uh, I didn't know how to turn it on uh, but fortunately uh, they kept me on and I, I was there for 17 years not, wow. not, not underneath that desk uh, or sitting at that desk but um, I, that was my um, uh, onboarding <laughs> so you know I, I want to ask you a question because I keep hearing about uh, AI in recruitment and I don't quite know what that might be like. I, what, what could you possibly do with an AI machine in the recruitment process? Anybody? Oh, my word. What's the question again, sorry? What could you possibly do with an AI machine in the recruitment process? Um, so this was interesting. This was spoken about yesterday. Mm. Was it? Um, I wasn't yeah. there. So, um, so um, we are expected to use AI for tasks rather than roles and responsibilities. So there is a suggestion that AI can, in theory, look for the answers now with a speech to sorry, voice to speech to text engine. And an AI bot can look for certain words that you've said in the answer to say whether they've answered it. So we could, in an interview process, we could um, ask them to record answers to specific questions. The AI then understands what answers you're looking for and will then filter out the ones that don't give the correct responses to that answer. Okay, so uh, for my old wooden brain, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm still analog I'm analog brain rather than digital brain. I haven't even got to AI yet. So uh, I, I understand that the interviewee uh, would be on one side of the table, Correct. and the AI machine would be on the other. Yes, other with the side. camera in the between. And the camera in between. Yes. This is just helping me because I see this. It's helpful for me to see the AI machine yes. as a sort of person, yes. as an avatar. That's that's that pretty much it, yes. Um, and they ask a series of questions, um, and this interviewee uh, responds. The words are converted into text, and that text then can be analysed. Can, can However, it can even listen out for tone. So instead of doing speech to text, oh. it can actually look and say whether you said the right tone, tonality, can look at all sorts of things. Can it? Can it note? Sorry, Joe. Can it notice that I've gone red? Yes. <gasps> oh. And change in facial expression. What is Joe. the benefit of that over being interviewed by live, real life? I guess person? it's it. Well, what they're suggesting is is that we could interview fifty people. So time safe. Correct. And then the f- the final five that have made it through that stage, then we have the face to face interview. Oh, okay. Oh wow. So interestingly, they were showing, but they were showing how imperfect mm. AI was yesterday as well, though because they showed two pictures of faces 
and they asked various AI engines to say what was the mood of this person. Certain AI engines got depending, I hate to say it, depending on the colour of the skin. It's a psychopath. It looked at certain things <laughs> other than it. So there was unconscious bias even in the, yeah. in no. the, in the AI. Wow. Where it was saying that person's happy, that person's angry. So that it basically said, what's the mood of this person from this image? And then one of them was showing their teeth as they were smiling. And that, then the AI interpreted that to be aggressive. But if you, if you, if you, if you disabled that part of the AI machine... Mm-hmm. Um, so that they weren't looking for facial expression and all of that stuff. So keep that out, because that's work in progress. That doesn't seem to be very effective to me. Um, But what it can do then is ask a whole load of questions quite sort of cleanly and unemotionally without bias. And so... Yeah, I guess from that perspective, that's quite... I think that's quite interesting. And and also... um, in terms of each interview being pretty much the same uh, and I've, I've been in so many interview sessions where I've gone to the panel that it, what we've just done now is entirely different to the interviews that we were doing this morning yeah. have you forgotten yeah. and so there's that uh, human human factor taken out of it uh, I'm, I'm not sort of necessarily persuading myself that this is a really good idea, by the way, but I'm quite interested in it. And uh, I, re- I remember doing a thing many years ago. I think it was called three-level questioning. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Explain what it means. Well, so as I understand it, you ask a question uh, as, as the... Um, as part one of the process and it's quite a big heavy heavy question and then the second element is that you're looking for evidence to support the first response okay so so they respond to the first question you then go into your next um, question which is hunting for evidence so I was very successful when I set up a team back in um, 1943 and uh, everybody loved me and I increased sales by 30% so the, the, the second part of that is can you provide evidence yeah, of the kind of how yeah. and the, so there's another le- and then you go you keep going down until you've absolutely interrogated the evidence and that's when people start getting a bit sweaty. So that's a little <laughs> bit like competency-based interviewing, isn't is it? it? Yeah, because they, if you're looking at somebody's CV or resume, and they've got, let's be honest, you can pay people to put together an amazing CV, can't you? Let's be honest, you can. An AI machine could probably do well, it. Well, yeah. And if somebody questions you around that CV, how are you really substantiating what you've written on there so your your questioning your questioning is basically you know this was the situation this is what I did this sorry this was the task these are the actions and off the back of those actions these are the results yeah so and 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 you the, the competency based interview will be if you're trying to ask somebody a question around I don't know superior customer um, service for example if that was the competency of the job how is somebody how can you ask somebody a question that gives them the chance to demonstrate when they have delivered superior customer 
experience and what actions did they take to make that happen and what was the result of those actions. If they can throw in metrics around that, as in, like you said, save the company X amount of money, increase sales by 30%, then that would be a strong answer versus a less strong answer. They can't substantiate, they can't give you an actual real-life example. Tell me about the time when. Explain that to me in more detail. Tell me about that. Describe that to me. So you can dig deeper and you can dig deeper and you can dig deeper until they come up with... Well, actually, off the back of me doing this, this, and this, this was what I did. This was these were the results, and what I learned from that, and what I'd do differently next time, and what I would take forward next time would be this. I think that so. I, I here's a forecast. I reckon an AI machine uh, within a very short space of time, possibly a year or two will be conducting interviews yeah. uh, with all of that capability. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to note at this stage though that as was explained yesterday, again I know you weren't there, but I think it's important for the listeners to understand, AI is nothing new. It's been about for a long time. So the fact that you've bought this, you might like this. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If there is uh, curated what yeah. you purchased, you therefore are interested in that, that is AI. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it, it already exists. I think it's just it's it's evolving in terms of its capabilities yeah um but and its accuracy you know look at what it can now do is analyze a load of cancer patient scans and it can identify where it thinks that you know so it can reduce the doctor's number of images they're manually looking at down from 50 down to three and say these three need a, a human look Those, which is incredible really yeah. Can I, I'm quite excited by this, actually, in a funny kind of way. So if, if the AI machine, the, the recruitment AI machine, uh, has in its database uh, a thousand people um, that it's interviewed, because there's nothing to stop it, just continually doing it day in, day out, all the time, um, it starts building up a body of evidence of how how people respond to these things then those people actually go into the job then you can um, cross tab how long they stay in the job uh, and how successful that person is in that role based on certain criteria that was picked up by the AI machine so it, 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 it makes it more efficient to interview people without the human factor and the, 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 the unconscious biases and all the other things that, that, that seem not to be working. Because mm. if we've got, what was the statistic, Ant? 30% of... Within 90 days. Leave within 90 days. Correct. There's a human problem. Yes. There's a human problem in the recruitment oh, sure. process. If that could be reduced by knowing precisely what happened in the first interview, which might be an AI machine... Yeah. Um, we can start working out what's what's the problem here um, much quicker than a human could. And so I, I don't feel comfortable saying it, but I think that's kind of quite interesting. So I asked AI um, <laughs> how to improve failed recruitment. And would you like to hear? And it's, again, it's pretty good. Okay. So clear expectations and job descriptions. Yeah. A transparent employee value proposition. 
um, comprehensive training and onboarding mm -hmm. and training beyond the first 60 days, 90 days are highlighted as an opportunity. Yeah. Regular check-ins and feedback. Yeah. Hiring managers should not be hiring just to fill a role if there is a shortage of candidates. Extend the search for longer. Well, that all makes great sense to me. And it's actually what it's just challenged me to think is that we've been thinking about it's the applicant. Um, this, this is also about the, and it's what goes back to what you were saying, Joe, about the onboarding process. Uh, in so many organisations, I think it's crap. Yeah. Um, and it's not taken seriously. So there was also a survey conducted which uh, asked the 30% of hires that had left, so they asked some people that had quit their job within 90 days to take part in a survey, and it showed the following bits of data. The day-to-day -day role was not as expected, so that kind of backs yeah. up what we've said around expectations and job descriptions not being Transparency and... Um, hey, we've been guilty to, of that to a point with our recent hire, bless her. She started on Tuesday and we, a couple of weeks fired ago... Fired her Thursday. No, no, we hadn't fired her, but oh. we kind of said definitely still up for it, but the role had changed from what we'd offered. But fortunately, we made that clear before she started. Anyway, company culture was not as expected. Yeah. So that's, that's mis-selling it into Sell the dream, but that's it's not a the reality. And we are aware of a couple of our clients at the moment that are selling the dream and you get in there uh, and it's toxic ugh. and guess what people are leaving. Yeah. Uh, and then get this, so the day-to-day -day role is not as expected, 41%. 34% said company culture not as expected. The balance, 30%. Unsatisfactory company leadership. Yeah. So get in there and the CEO is not what they expected. The country head is not as expected. Um, anyway, um, there are some additional things which might be of interest to the conversation. So they do recommend strong training around creating accurate job descriptions, equipping recruiters to talk specifics, including the values of the company, the mission of the company, the real challenges currently faced, and the opportunity that individual may have to contribute towards solving those challenges. And then actually interviewing them on, these are some of the problems we're facing in the business right now, what's your thoughts on that? Be real, don't paint a Picasso when the situation is really more like a picture even I could draw. It's not good. I've seen um, I've seen the I've seen that. You've sent me pictures you've drawn of me. Yeah, yeah, it was Noel Edmonds. Um, Thank you. if you're adding a case study into the interview, make it real uh, with the challenge the company has right now, not a you know, you're dealing with a member of staff in a different team and they're not particularly cooperative. How do you deal with that situation? No, instead talk about at the moment what we've got this major do? problem with client satisfaction levels and this is one of the main causes of it what's your thoughts on that mm -hmm. so make those real have an interview round with a few members of the SLT if possible your senior leadership team coffee chats are always quite helpful with the wider team you see I'm not a big fan of that for I will dispute that being a good idea because if there's a if there's a rogue employee that sees that new hire as the upstart young buck they may almost obstruct the interview process so I um, you know do that with caution um, and again, there's some other wanky stuff. A social walk or coffee at office stage. Let's go and walk down the pier. I'd like to offer you the job. Will you accept? No. Push them off the side of the pier. Wow. Yeah. Um, ask, and this one I do like. Ask candidates what their ideal is by way of values. So what values would you thrive under in a company? Um, if these don't align now, but as something the company are aiming for, tell the candidate, being transparent that that's definitely what we want in our company and you're the sort of person that can help us do that. But additionally, if that is completely misaligned and that isn't the ambition of the company, it's probably important that you don't 
hire that person knowing they're going to walk 90 days later. And this is the problem, I think, line managers that can't create their own safety bubble. So you'll know, Joe, in my old place, many moons ago now, which quite scarily is many moons ago now, um, we created a really nice culture within the company, which was quite a toxic culture. Um, and people, we would hire them and say, look, it's, you know, the, the company's not in the, the happiest of places. But you created a bubble. But we are having fun. And in this bubble, you are safe. Um, and my job is to make sure that we keep that bubble intact. Um, because we're walking into a hurricane and we're sitting in the eye of the storm. And that's the opportunity for us. We're going to get whipped out into all these moments. We're going to come back, we'll regroup and we'll, we'll go again. Um, but actually, even at the moment, when we hire people, we'll say, how are you with uncertainty? How are you with chaos? Because we are a chaotic company. We have fun. But whew, it's it's not you know if you're looking for a really tight job description, this probably ain't the right job for you. To a point, which is what we've had with our with our new hire. Yeah, this. So Joe's just eyeballing someone that's walking around in what looks like like some Caribbean kind of, shorts. Work, work nice. shoes. Work shoes. Caribbean shorts. Sorry, it's goes back to you. Um, oh, it's a great look. Yeah, and a shirt and tie on top. So it's, it's Timmy Mallet um, going to church. It's probably um, it's probably our local mayor. Um, I haven't got my glasses on, but uh, there's some oddballs here in Ramsgate. Um, th- there's more characters per square inch in Ramsgate than any place I've ever lived well, in we, my entire we met life. A good portion of them last night. They are marvellous. Absolutely, I love I love the characters here. Um, they bless brilliant. him. He's having himself to cups out of the kitchen. Oh. Um, so it's getting busier in here, isn't it? Since we started recording, there has been more pints pulled. In fact, quite amusingly, obviously the listeners can't see this, but I've been sat watching people going, there's a kind of a big area to our left of our, to my left of the table. And there are lots of painters and decorators that clearly have finished their job. They've told their other halves this morning when they left the house. Well, it's Friday. We'll have to do the decorating for our client for a Friday. Yeah. We're going to have a quick cheeky drink yeah. about four o'clock. I'll be home by five. Screw that. One liquor paint. They've all yeah. turned up there, in there. I mean, well, they start at eight, don't they? So they've done three, three hours. hours. Well, that's enough the on a Friday. Time. But that, I had to tell you now, JB, that paint on their clothes ain't today's paint. They put it. They, well, it is because they painted it on to make it look like you they've reckon? been busy today. Oh, I thought they just put yesterday's clothes on and <laughs> see you later, sweetheart. I'm off down and to Ramsgate. Are you talking about time? Are you conscious? How long have we been? We are nearly on? an hour. Are we really? Nearly an Good hour. Good grief. Um, have we got time for a little question, mm. or do you think we ought to go for Will the you big a question? Or do you want me? Have you got a question? No, I, d- I haven't got a question up my sleeve. But um, get a listener question. Should we do a one listener question and then let the poor listeners go? But I think if I add it, it might open up another can of worms. Mind you, it would be good, maybe good to talk about for next time. But we we talk about all of this recruitment and all of this really interesting and important stuff. But actually, in the reality. When, you, when people are recruited and they come into the company, many, many managers are incredibly busy. And I think sometimes, rightly or wrongly, that can restrict the amount of time. If they aren't planned properly, if there isn't a really good onboarding plan in place, um, that can restrict the time that they have to spend with that new person. So. That can be a challenge, won't it? Well, people get um, completely swayed into the, the managing of the process rather than managing of the people. Yeah. And, you know, that, that whole sort of uh, spectrum of approaches from instruction through to supervision, through to mentoring, through to coaching, 
is completely overlooked because the expectation on them is to deliver the target and the KPIs and that becomes the biggest noise in town and so how can I possibly do the onboarding when I've got all of this stuff to do and so it becomes an onboarding process rather than an onboarding yeah. process. And you just hope that the person you've recruited is going to be able to hit the ground running. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you sort of expect that to happen. And when it doesn't happen... They're on their own. Yeah. And no wonder 30% of them just say, do you know what? Yeah. No, one's, no one knows me. Yeah. No one's focusing me. And no, no one's one bloody me. valuing me. So I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. I'm done here. I'm going to the next thing. Yeah. So we have a listener question, but I, it's quite a biggie. So we might want to do a short answer and then extend it to the next episode. Okay. Um, okay. So um, we work in an audit department with 40 staff. Managers and partners are not included in this. Unfortunately, all of our direct reports report into at least three different line managers for different parts of their role. And it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to manage people that report into me because of their competing priorities with other managers. How do I maintain engagement and motivation for my people when other managers are fighting for their time, often unfairly so? Wow. Communicate. Open up the doors of communication. And thank you very much. We'll see you on next week's episode. I think there's an organisational design problem, I think. It's, I mean, I, I'm, I, without knowing... So it's like Matrix on acid. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a little bit of Matrix going on in our company. We do, on but... small scale. But exactly, but if they've got three different managers they report into, and if what I mean getting the impression from, from this anonymous question person is that the other two managers of the three are taking an unfair share of time of their direct reports. So the three managers that... The three managers need to be sitting down and talking together. 100%. And, dis- and deciding how much time is what is a fair amount of time and how are they going to manage that situation to make it fair for that person it, it sounds like it, this is broken down into um, I think there were, were there three line managers so yes. there's three separate silos um, where there are, are competing uh, elements of time and energy within those three silos the poor the poor people involved in that um at at the receiving end god knows where they are and then for for this person that's a nightmare if those three silos are not communicating and they are just demanding time and energy on their specific things so the silos have to be broken down and the only way to do that is to get those three heads together um and, and actually so we keep redlining when you, you, you lovely people keep banging the table with excitement and it makes our oh I'm sorry oh it's fine whenever it goes red it means we're I do get a bit excited about yeah, certain things but I, I, I agree with Joe entirely that those three people must be brought together to have a conversation to understand uh, the, the bigger Set outcome of the, of the organisation uh, the processes involved um, how how the people in that team are going to participate uh, in getting to that higher level outcome, and uh, and how they're going to put that in place, yeah. and the timescale, and the reviews of how it's going, because that's the only way that this this will be resolved. I would also add to that that I think I'd be curious to know, and it's not clear in the question as to whether you all report into the same manager as in the three managers do you report into the same manager above 
And if that's the case, I would probably say alongside that, you should take the lead in having a conversation with your line manager saying, I'm trying to work through some challenges I'm having with my other manager counterparts because of A, B and C. You don't necessarily want the intervention, but if, if perhaps, I don't know whether there are challenges currently with those other two managers, as to whether you need to kind of almost say, I'm trying to resolve this myself, but I might need some sort of intervention later if it doesn't go to plan. Um, because the problem is it sounds like you're trying to do the right thing, but maybe there is some unfair play going on from the, from the others, potentially. Mm -hmm. That's a short answer. Hopefully that's answered the question. You did ask it three weeks ago, so apologies for the delay in answering your questions. If you do have a listener question, it is GLP for Global Leadership Podcast, glp at seedle.com. Um, and they will come through and we will do them in a future episode. Uh, exciting news is me and Joe are next week off to the NEC in Birmingham for a learning exhibition conference called World of Learning. Uh, we will be exhibiting live there and doing webinars live from the stand. We may record another podcast while we're in situ potentially. Who knows? Uh, but first but and foremost, what's everyone up to over the weekend, uh, JB? Ooh. Uh, I think I am going to spend quite a lot of time watching the rugby. Uh, there's some good matches on tomorrow. Uh, so th the first one is England Samoa, and that will be done in the pub. Uh, the second one will probably not be in the pub because I don't think the pub will be showing it. Uh, and then I think it's just basking in the glorious sunshine uh, of this lovely Isle of Thanet. Um, I am going to Oxford. Are you? Yes. Tomorrow. Uh, what's the On date the today? On Cross Pennines train. Friday. No, we're driving. Is it Friday today? Yes. Yeah. So tomorrow I'm going to Oxford with my husband, and we are going to my oldest friend, as in ye not oldest, oldest, as in she's older. But we've been we've been friends since we were two. Wow. Um, obviously gone our separate ways, but her partner is 60 tomorrow so we have been invited to a big party at Whitney Resort That's, uh, David Whitney Cameron's Lakes Resort is it? is it? Whitney yeah so I'm looking really looking forward to that um, and I don't know nothing Sunday actually by the time we get home staying overnight so just chilling out on Sunday sounds lovely will you be resting on your laurels or have you got football matches and things I have a yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so this evening cadets for my wow. firstborn yeah. boy tomorrow morning football for my firstborn boy uh, we also it's exciting to announce that Seedle are buying their first van Oh yeah. Um, which we've got to pick up and then me and Simon, one of our colleagues, are going to load up that van over the weekend for, in readiness for our exhibition because we leave Monday lunchtime wow. to go up to Birmingham um, and then spending some time with a dear wife um, yeah. and the other children that don't perhaps demand me driving them all over the place. Uh, and my sister-in-law will probably be involved in some shape or form with alcohol if she's up for it because she's saying she's still struggling after last weekend's alcohol. How big are your laurels now? As I mentioned laurels, because you had a bit of a fear, because I think they were beginning to rot or something, no, or die No, so off. it turns out I was over-watering them. Uh, During, it was when it was really dry, yeah. I was, thought I was being really good and watering them all. Yeah. And then one went into shock and lost all of its leaves. But fortunately, the leaves have recovered and regrown now, so oh. I stopped watering it, and now they're great. So basically, just keep because my wife tells me you don't drink enough water and she just keeps making me drink more and more water and do you know it just makes me feel a bit wilty <laughs> uh, and I, I think I'm going to say 
uh, uh, talk to Anne. Be more he, Laurel. Yeah. Yeah. And the old Laurels. Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, the old Laurels, they produced all these berries this year for the first time. And they taste good? No, they're not edible by humans, but clearly the puppy Labrador ate ah. a load of them on the floor. Oh, don't, don't go any further. And her tummy became oh, quite big explosive. for a couple of days. Mm. Um, she looked like a Ribena factory for a, for a, okay. for a couple of days. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, dear listeners. Hopefully that has been some sense. We've talked about commerciality and leadership. We've talked about the first 30 days and reducing that attrition that may occur. And a lovely listener question too. I've been Anthony. I've been JB, and I just want to say I've loved Joe being part of our threesome today. Um, I really have, because it brought a lovely extra dimension yeah. and a little a feminine touch, which I think we sometimes lack. And yeah. I'm yeah. going to—it makes I me agree. think I'm going to be a little bit more feminine in my future podcasts. I'm going to wear a little dress or something. I mean, is it politically incorrect to say that? Don't think so. No. Okay. Have you said you it now? And I, I want you to call days. me Annabelle. Annabelle. On all future podcasts. Okay. Well, um, I've been Anne. And I've been Annabelle. And I've been... <laughs> Bye-bye. I've been Joe. <laughs> <laughs>